0: Welcome to Zensylvania. My name is Eric Adrians, and I'll be your host. In Zensylvania, we explore motorcycle zen, literature, philosophy, and a variety of other topics. I'm not an expert in any of these things. In fact, it would probably be a mistake for me to claim to be an expert in anything at all. Here in Zensylvania, we try to maintain a beginner's mind during our explorations. With your feedback and participation, I hope Stansylvania is the kind of place that keeps us, you and I, visiting often. If you've been following the podcast from episode to episode, you may have noticed that we've undergone a rather long intermission. I wish I could say that the delay has been the result of some unusual and significant extra effort required to put the episode together but that's not the case. Instead, I'll simply admit that the bricks and mortar infrastructure of the Zensylvania podcast, along with all of the other stuff that my wife and I own, has undergone a relocation. We packed up the belongings and memories that we'd had stored in the red brick Victorian home and its surrounding Southwest Ontario community and headed slightly further south and slightly further west to a rather smaller home and smaller community. All of that makes this something of a getting back in the swing of things episode. It doesn't quite surprise me that packing up of house and home seems to have included packing up some earnest and good intentions with the podcast. Episodes 23 and 24 had been a reading from Alfred North Whitehead's process and reality. Episode 25, this very episode, was intended to contain reflections on the reading, and comparison to Robert Persick's Zen in The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. As it turns out, that examination is going to be deferred to a slightly later time. Instead, I'm doing something I had very little intention of doing, and that is providing another reading from Process and Reality. What follows is a reading of Chapter 2 of Whitehead's Metaphysical Philosophy, something he called the Philosophy of Organism. In my opinion, chapter two is one of the toughest in the book to slog through. And I had very little intention of releasing a reading of it a few months ago when I released the earlier readings and turned my attention to moving house. But time passes and priorities change. So here we are, my continued reading from Alfred North Whitehead's Process and Reality. Oh, and one other thing. The first Pennsylvania episodes were released around this time of year, back in 2021, making this something of an anniversary episode. The podcast has undergone some changes over the past couple of years, as we've taken our time with our investigations, sometimes fixing on things that have been long-standing interests and sometimes digging into novel areas that have recently caught our attention. It's been an interesting endeavor, and I thank you for joining me so far. I'll certainly do my best to make the third Zensylvanian year more interesting and engaging than the first two. Chapter 2. The Categorial Scheme Section 1 This chapter contains an anticipatory sketch of the primary notions, which constitute the philosophy of organism. The whole of the subsequent discussion in these lectures has the purpose of rendering this summary intelligible and of showing that it embodies generic notions, inevitably presupposed in our reflective experience, presupposed, but rarely expressed in explicit distinction. Four notions may be singled out from this summary by reason of the fact that they involve some divergence from antecedent philosophical thought. These notions are that of an actual entity, that of a prehension, that of a nexus, and that of the ontological principle. Philosophical thought has made for itself difficulties by dealing exclusively in very abstract notions, such as those of mere awareness, mere private sensation, mere emotion, mere purpose, mere appearance, mere causation. These are the ghosts of the old faculties, banished from psychology but still haunting metaphysics. There can be no mere togetherness of such abstractions. The result is that philosophical discussion is enmeshed in the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. In the three notions, actual entity, prehension, nexus, an endeavor has been made to base philosophical thought upon the most concrete elements in our experience. Actual entities, also termed actual occasions are the final real things of which the world is made up. There is no going behind actual entities to find anything more real. They differ among themselves. God is an actual entity, and so is the most trivial puff of existence in far off empty space. But though there are gradations of importance and diversities of function, Yet in the principles which actuality exemplifies, all are on the same level. The final facts are, all alike, actual entities, and these actual entities are drops of experience, complex and interdependent. In its recurrence to the notion of a plurality of actual entities, the philosophy of organism is through and through Cartesian. The ontological principle broadens and extends a general principle laid down by john locke in his essay book 2 chapter 23 section 7 when he asserts that power is a great part of our complex ideas of substances the notion of substance is transformed into that of actual entity and the notion of power is transformed in the principle that the reasons for things are always to be found in the composite nature of definite actual entities in the nature of God, for reasons of the highest absoluteness and in the nature of definite temporal actual entities for reasons, which refer to a particular entity then no reason. Each actual entity is analyzable in an indefinite number of ways. In some modes of analysis, the component, elements are more abstract than in other modes of analysis the analysis of an actual entity into prehensions is that mode of analysis which exhibits the most concrete elements in the nature of actual entities this mode of analysis will be termed the division of the actual entity in question each actual entity is divisible in an indefinite number of ways and each way of division yields its definite quota of prehensions. A prehension reproduces in itself, the general characteristics of an actual entity. It is referent to an external world. And in that sense will be said to have a vector character. It involves emotion and purpose and valuation and causation. In fact, any characteristic of an actual entity is reproduced in apprehension it might have been a complete actuality but by reason of a certain incomplete partiality a prehension is only a subordinate element in an actual entity a reference to the complete actuality is required to give the reason why such a prehension is what it is in respect to its subjective form the subjective form is determined by the subjective aim at further Integration, so as to obtain the satisfaction of the completed subject. In other words, final causation and atomism are interconnected philosophical principles. With the purpose of obtaining a one substance cosmology, prehensions are a generalization from Descartes' mental cogitations and from Locke's ideas to express the most concrete mode of analysis applicable to every grade of individual actuality. Descartes and Locke maintained a two substance ontology. Descartes explicitly Locke by implication. Descartes, the mathematical physicist, emphasized his account of corporeal substance and Locke, the physician and the sociologist confined himself to an account of mental substance. The philosophy of organism in its scheme for one type of actual entities adopts the view that Locke's account of mental substance embodies in a very special form a more penetrating philosophic description than does Descartes' account of corporeal substance. Nevertheless, Descartes' account must find its place in the philosophic scheme. On the whole, this is the moral to be drawn from the monadology of Leibniz. His monads are best conceived as generalizations of contemporary notions of mentality. The contemporary notions of physical bodies only enters into his philosophy subordinately and derivatively. The philosophy of organism endeavors to hold the balance more evenly. But it does start with a generalization of Locke's account of mental operations. Actual entities involve each other by reason of their prehensions of each other. There are thus real individual facts of the togetherness of actual entities, which are real, individual, and particular, in the same sense in which actual entities and the prehensions are real, individual, and particular. Any such particular fact of togetherness among actual entities is called a nexus. The ultimate facts of Immediate actual experience are actual entities, prehensions, and nexus. All else is for our experience, derivative abstraction. The explanatory purpose of philosophy is often misunderstood. It's business is to explain the emergence of the more abstract things from the more concrete things. It is a complete mistake to ask how concrete particular fact can be built up out of universals. The answer is in no way. The true philosophic question is how can concrete fact exhibit entities abstract from itself and yet participated in by its own nature? In other words, philosophy is explanatory of abstraction and not of concreteness. It is by reason of their instinctive grasp of this ultimate truth that in spite of much association with arbitrary fancifulness and atavistic mysticism, types of platonic philosophy retain their abiding appeal. They seek the forms in the facts. Each fact is more than its forms and each form participates throughout the world of facts. The definiteness of fact is due to its forms, but the individual fact is a creature and creativity in the ultimate behind all forms inexplicable by forms and conditioned by its creatures. Section two, the categories one, the category of the ultimate two categories of existence three categories of explanation Four, categorical obligations. It is the purpose of the discussion in these lectures to make clear the meaning of these categories, their applicability and their adequacy. The course of the discussion will disclose how very far they are from satisfying this ideal. Every entity should be a specific instance of one category of existence. Every explanation should be a specific instance of categories of explanation and every obligation should be a specific instance of categorial obligations. The category of the ultimate expresses the general principle presupposed in the three more special categories. The category of the ultimate creativity, many, one, are the ultimate notions involved in the meaning of the synonymous terms, thing being entity. These three notions complete the category of the ultimate and are presupposed in all the more special categories. The term one does not stand for the integral number one, which is a complex special notion. It stands for the general idea underlying alike the indefinite article a or an in the indefinite article, the, and the demonstrative this or that and the relatives, which or what or how it stands for the singularity of an entity. The term many presupposes the term one and the term one presupposes the term many. The term many conveys the notion of disjunctive diversity. The notion is an essential element in the concept of being. There are many beings in disjunctive diversity. Creativity is the universal of universals characterizing ultimate matter of fact. It is that ultimate principle by which the many, which are the universe disjunctively become the one actual occasion, which is the universe conjunctively. It lies in the nature of things that the many enter into complex unity. Creativity is the principle of novelty An actual occasion is a novel entity diverse from any entity in the many, which it unifies. Thus, creativity introduces novelty into the content of the many, which are the universe disjunctively. The creative advance is the application of this ultimate principle of creativity to each novel situation which it originates. Together is a generic term covering the various special ways in which various sorts of entities are together in any one actual occasion. Thus, together presupposes the notions creativity, many, one, identity, and diversity. The ultimate metaphysical principle is the advance from disjunction to conjunction, creating a novel entity other than the entities given in disjunction. The novel entity is at once the togetherness of the many, which it finds. And also it is one among the disjunctive many, which it leaves. It is a novel entity disjunctively among the many entities, which it synthesizes. The many become one and are increased by one in their natures. Entities are disjunctively many in process of passage into conjunctive unity. This category of the ultimate replaces Aristotle's category of primary substance. Thus, the production of novel togetherness is the ultimate notion embodied in the term concrescence. These ultimate notions of production of novelty and of concrete togetherness are inexplicable either in terms of higher universals or in terms of the components participating in the concrescence. The analysis of the components abstracts from the concrescence. Their sole appeal is to intuition. the categories of existence. The categories of existence. There are eight categories of existence. One, actual entities, also termed Actual occasions or final realities or rea verae. Two, prehensions or concrete facts of relatedness. Three, nexus, plural of nexus, or public matters of fact. Four, subjective forms or private matters of fact. 5. Eternal objects or pure potentials for the specific determination of fact or forms of definiteness. 6. Propositions or matters of fact in potential, determination or impure potentials for the specific determination of matters of fact or theories. 7. Multiplicities, or pure disjunction, or diverse entities. 8. Contrasts, or modes of synthesis of entities in one prehension, or patterned entities. Among these eight categories of existence, actual entities and eternal objects stand out with a certain extreme finality. The other types of existence have a certain intermediate character. The eighth category includes an indefinite progression of categories as we proceed from contrasts to contrasts of contrasts and on indefinitely to higher grades of contrasts. The categories of explanation. There are 27 categories of explanation. One, that the actual world is a process and that the process is the becoming of actual entities, thus actual entities are creatures. They are also termed actual occasions. Two, that in the becoming of an actual entity, the potential unity of many entities is disjunctive diversity actual and non-actual acquires the real unity of the one actual entity, so that the actual entity is the real concrescence of many potentials. Three, that in the becoming of an actual entity, novel prehensions, nexus, subjective forms, propositions, multiplicities, and contrasts also become, but there are no novel eternal objects. 4. That the potentiality for being an element is a real concrescence of many entities into one actuality, is the one general metaphysical character attaching to all entities, actual and non-actual, and that every item in its universe is involved in each concrescence. In other words, it belongs to the nature of being that in a potential for every becoming This is the principle of relativity five that no two actual entities originate from an identical universe though the difference between the two universes only consists in some actual entities included in one and not in the other, and in the subordinate entities which each actual entity introduces into the world. The eternal objects are the same for all actual entities. The nexus of actual entities in the universe correlate to a concrescence, is termed the actual world, collate to that concrescence. 6 that each entity in the universe of a given concrescence can, so far as its own nature is concerned, be implicated in that concrescence in one or other of many modes. But in fact, it is implicated only in one mode, that the particular mode of implication is only rendered fully determinate by that concrescence, though it is conditioned by the correlate universe. This indetermination, rendered determinate in the real concrescence, is the meaning of potentiality. It is a conditioned indetermination, and is therefore called a real potentiality. 7. That an eternal object can be described only in terms of its potentiality for ingression into the becoming of actual entities, and that its analysis only discloses other eternal objects. It is a pure potential. The term ingression refers to the particular mode in which the potentiality of an eternal object is realized in a particular actual entity, contributing to the definiteness of that actual entity. 8 that two descriptions are required for an actual entity. A, one which is analytical of its potentiality for objectification in the becoming of other actual entities, and B, another which is analytical of the process which constitutes its own becoming. The term objectification refers to the particular mode in which the potentiality of one actual entity is realized in another actual entity. 9. That how an actual entity becomes constitutes what that actual entity is, so that the two descriptions of an actual entity are not independent. Its being is constituted by its becoming. This is the principle of process. 10. That the first analysis of an actual entity into its most concrete elements discloses it to be a concrescence of prehensions which have originated in its process of becoming all further analysis is an analysis of prehensions analysis in terms of prehensions is termed division 11. that every prehension consists of three factors a the subject which is prehending namely the actual entity in which the prehension is a concrete element B, the datum, which is prehended. Uh, C, the subjective form, which is how the subject prehends that datum. Prehensions of actual entities, i.e., prehensions whose data involve actual entities, are termed physical prehensions. And prehensions of eternal objects are termed conceptual prehensions. Consciousness is not necessarily involved in the subjective forms of either type of prehension. 12. That there are two species of prehensions. A. Positive prehensions, which are termed feelings, and B. Negative prehensions, which are said to eliminate from feeling. Negative prehensions also have subject forms. A negative prehension holds its datum as inoperative in the progressive concrescence of prehensions, constituting the unity of the subject. 13. that there are many species of subjective forms such as emotions valuations purposes adversions aversions consciousness etc 14. that a nexus is a set of actual entities in the unity of the relatedness constituted by their prehensions of each other or what is the same thing conversely expressed constituted by their objectifications in each other. 15, that a proposition is the unity of certain actual entities in their potentiality for forming a nexus with its potential relatedness partially defined by certain eternal objects which have the unity of one complex eternal object. The actual entities involved are termed the logical subjects The complex eternal object is the predicate 16. that a multiplicity consists of many entities and in its unity is constituted by the fact that all its constituent entities severally satisfy at least one condition which no other entity satisfies every statement about a particular multiplicity can be expressed as a statement referent either A to all its members severally, or B to an indefinite sum of its members severally, or C as a denial of one of these statements. Any statement incapable of being expressed in this form is not a statement about a mass multiplicity, though it may be a statement about an entity closely allied to some multiplicity, i.e. systematically allied to each member of some multiplicity. 17. That whatever is a datum for a feeling has a unity as felt. Thus, the many components of a complex datum have a unity. This unity is a contrast of entities. In a sense, this means that there are an endless number of categories of existence since the synthesis of entities into a contrast is general produces a new existential type. And thus, the real internal but generally in substances, unknown constitution of things, whereupon their discoverable qualities depend, may be called their essence. also the terms prehension and feeling are to be compared with the various significations of Locke's term idea, but they are adopted as a more general, more neutral term than idea as used by Locke, who seems to restrict them to conscious mentality. Also, the ordinary logical account of propositions expresses only a restricted aspect of their role in the universe, namely when they are the data of feelings whose subjective forms are those of judgments. It is an essential doctrine in the philosophy of organism that the primary function of a proposition is to be relevant as a lure for feeling. For example, some propositions are the data of feelings with subjective forms, such as to constitute those feelings to be the enjoyment of a joke. Other propositions are felt with feelings whose subjective forms are horror, disgust or indignation. The subjective aim, which controls the becoming of a subject is that subject feeling a proposition with the subjective form of purpose to realize it in the process of self-creation. 19. That the fundamental types of entities are actual entities and eternal objects, and that the other types of entities only express how all entities of the two fundamental types are in community with each other to the actual world. 20. That to function means to contribute determination to the actual entities in the nexus of some actual world. Thus, the determinateness and self-identity of one entity cannot be abstracted from the community of the diverse functioning of all entities. Determination is analyzable into definiteness and position, where definiteness is the illustration of select eternal objects, and position is relative status in a nexus of actual entities. 21. An entity is actual when it has significance for itself. By this, it is meant that an actual entity functions in respect to its own determination. Thus, an actual entity combines self-identity with self-diversity. 22. That an actual entity, by functioning in respect to itself, plays diverse roles in self-formation without losing its self-identity. It is self-creative, and in its process of creation transforms its diversity of roles into one coherent role. Thus, becoming is the transformation of incoherence into coherence, and in each particular instance ceases with this attainment. 23. That this self-functioning is the real internal constitution of an actual entity. It is the immediacy of the actual entity. An actual entity is called the subject of its own immediacy. 24. The functioning of one actual entity in the self-creation of another actual entity is the objectification of the former for the latter actual entity. The functioning of an eternal object in the self-creation of an actual entity is the ingression of the eternal object in the actual entity. 25. The final phase in the process of concrescence constituting an actual entity is one complex, fully determinate feeling. This final phase is termed the satisfaction. It is fully determinate, A, as to its genesis, and B, to its objective character for the transcendent creativity, and C, as to its prehension, positive or negative, of every item in its universe. 26. Each element in the genetic process of an actual entity has one self-consistent function however complex in the final satisfaction 27 in a process of concrescence there is a succession of phases in which new prehensions arise by integration of prehensions in antecedent phases in these integrations feelings contribute their subjective forms and their data to the formation of novel integral prehensions negative prehensions contribute only their subjective forms. The process continues till all prehensions are components in the one determinate integral satisfaction. Section three, there are nine categorical obligations. One, the category of subjective unity, the many feelings, which belong to an incomplete phase in the process of an actual entity, though uninterrogated by reason of the incompleteness of the phase are compatible for integration by reason of the unity of their subject Two, the category of objective identity. There can be no duplication of any element in the objective datum of the satisfaction of an actual entity. So far as concerns the function of that element in the satisfaction. Here, as always, the term satisfaction means the one complex, fully determinate feeling which is the completed phase in the process. This category expresses that each element has one self consistent function, however complex. Logic is the general analysis of self consistency. 3. The category of objective diversity. There can be no coalescence of diverse elements in the objective datum of an actual entity, so far as concerns the functions of those elements in that satisfaction. Coalescence here means the notion of diverse elements exercising an absolute identity of function, devoid of the contrast inherent in their diversities. 4. The category of conceptual valuation. From each physical feeling, there is the derivation of a purely conceptual feeling whose datum is the eternal object determinant of the definiteness of the actual entity or of the nexus physically felt. Five, the category of conceptual reversion. There is a secondary origination of conceptual feelings with data which are partially identical with and partially diverse from the eternal objects forming the data in the first phase of the mental pole. The diversity is a relevant diversity determined by the subjective aim. Note that category four concerns conceptual reproduction of physical feeling and category five concerns, conceptual diversity from physical feeling six, the category of transmutation when in accordance with the category 4 or with categories 4 and 5 one of the same conceptual feeling is derived impartially by a prehending subject from its analogous simple physical feelings of various actual entities in its actual world then in a subsequent phase of integration of these simple physical feelings together with the derivative conceptual feeling the prehending subject May transmute the datum of this conceptual feeling into a characteristic of some nexus containing those prehended actual entities among its members or of some part of that nexus. In this way, the nexus or its part, thus characterized, is the objective datum of a feeling entertained by this prehending subject. It's evident that the complete datum of the transmuted feelings is a contrast, namely the nexus as one in contrast with the eternal object. This type of contrast is one of the meanings of the notion, qualification of physical substance by quality. This category is the way in which the philosophy of organism, which is an atomic theory of actuality, meets a perplexity which is inherent in all monadic cosmologies. Leibniz, in his monodology meets the same difficulty by theory of confused perception, but he fails to make clear how confusion originates. Seven, the category of subjective harmony. The valuations of conceptual feelings are mutually determined by the adaptation of those feelings to be contrasted elements congruent with the subjective aim category one and category seven jointly express a pre-established harmony in the process of concrescence of any one subject category one has to do with data felt in category seven with the subjective forms of the conceptual feelings this Pre established harmony is an outcome of the fact that no prehension can be considered in abstraction from its subject, although it originates in the process creative of its subject. Eight. The category of subjective intensity. The subjective aim whereby there is origination of conceptual feeling is at intensity of feeling in the immediate subject and in the Relevant future. This double aim at the immediate present and the relevant future is less divided than appears on the surface, for the determination of the relevant future and the anticipatory feeling respecting provision for its grade of intensity are elements affecting the immediate complex of feeling. The greater part of morality hinges on the determination of relevance in the future. The relevant future consists of those elements in the anticipated future which are felt with effective intensity by the present subject by reason of the real potentiality for them to be derived from itself. 9. The Category of Freedom and Determination The concrescence of each individual actual entity is internally determined and is externally free. This category can be condensed into the formula that in each concrescence, whatever is determinable is determined, but that there is always a remainder for the decision of the subject superject of that concrescence. This subject superject is the universe in that synthesis and beyond it there is non-entity. This final decision is the reaction of the entity of the whole to its own internal determination. This reaction is the final modification of emotion, appreciation, and purpose. But the decision of the whole arises out of the determination of the parts, so as to be strictly relevant to it. Section 4. The whole of the discussion in the subsequent parts either leads up to these categories of the four types, or its explanatory of them, or is considering our experience of the world in the light of these categories, but a few preliminary notes may be useful. It follows from the fourth category of explanation that the notion of complete abstraction is self-contradictory for you cannot abstract the universe from any entity, actual or non-actual, so as to consider that entity in complete isolation. Whenever we think of some entity, we are asking, what is it fit for here? In a sense, every entity pervades the whole world for this question has a definite awareness for each entity in respect to any actual entity or any nexus of actual entities. It follows from the first category of explanation that becoming is a creative advance into novelty. It is for this reason that the meaning of the phrase, the actual world, is relative to the becoming of a definite actual entity, which is both novel and actual, relatively to the meaning, and to no other meaning of that phrase. Thus, conversely, each actual entity corresponds to a meaning of the actual world, peculiar to itself. This point is dealt with more generally in categories of explanation three and five. An actual world is a nexus, and the actual world of our one actual entity sinks to the level of a subordinate nexus in actual worlds beyond that actual entity. The first, the fourth, the 18th, and 27th categories state different aspects of one and the same general metaphysical truth. The first category states the doctrine in a general way that every ultimate actuality embodies in its own essence, what Alexander terms a principle of unrest, namely its becoming. The fourth category applies this doctrine to the very notions of an entity. It asserts that the notion of an entity means an element contributory to the process of becoming. We have in this category the utmost generalization, of the notion of relativity. The 18th category asserts that the obligations imposed on the becoming of any particular actual entity arise from the constitutions of other actual entities. The four categories of explanation, 10 and 13, constitute the repudiation of the notion of various actuality. The four categories of explanation, 10 and 13, constitute the repudiation of the notion of vacuous actuality, which haunts realistic philosophy. The term vacuous actuality here means the notion of a res vera devoid of subjective immediacy. This repudiation is fundamental for the organic philosophy. The subjectivist principle, the notion of vacuous actuality is very closely lied to the notion of the inherence of quality in substance. Both notions in their misapplication as fundamental metaphysical categories find their chief support in a misunderstanding of the true analysis of presentational immediacy. It is fundamental to the metaphysical doctrine of the philosophy of organism that the notion of an actual entity as the unchanging subject of change is completely abandoned. An actual entity is at once the subject experiencing and the superject of its experience. It is subject-superject and neither half of this description can, for a moment, be lost sight of. The term subject will be mostly employed when the actual entity is considered in respect to its own real internal constitution. A subject is always to be construed as an abbreviation of subject-superject. The ancient doctrine that no one crosses the same river twice is extended. No thinker thinks twice, and to put the matter more generally, no subject experiences twice. This is what Locke ought to have meant by his doctrine of time as a perpetual perishing. This repudiation directly contradicts Kant's first analogy of experience in either of its ways of phrasing, first or second edition. In the philosophy of organism, it is not substance, which is permanent, but form. Forms suffer changing relations. Actual entities perpetually perish subjectively, but are immortal objectively. Actuality in perishing acquires objectivity while it loses subjective immediacy it loses the final causation which its internal principles of unrest and it acquires efficient causation whereby it is a ground of obligation characterizing creativity actual occasions in their formal constitutions are devoid of all indetermination potentiality has passed into realization They are complete and determinate matter of fact, devoid of all indecision. They form the ground of obligation, but eternal objects and propositions and some more complex sorts of contrasts involve in their own nature's indecision. They are, like all entities, potentials for the process of becoming. Their ingression expresses the definiteness of the actuality in question, but their own natures do not in themselves disclose in what actual entities this potentiality of ingression is realized. Thus they involve indetermination in a sense more complete than do the former set. A multiplicity merely enters into process through its individual members. The only statements to be made about a multiplicity express how the individual members enter into the process of the actual world. Any entity which enters into process in this way belongs to the multiplicity, and no other entities do belong to it. It can be treated as a unity for thus purpose, and this purpose only. For example, each of the six kinds of entities just mentioned is a multiplicity i.e. not the individual entities of the kinds, but the collective kinds of the entities. A multiplicity has solely a disjunctive relationship to the actual world. The universe, comprising the absolute initial data for an actual entity, is a multiplicity. The treatment of a multiplicity as though it had the unity belonging to an entity of any one of the other six kinds produces logical errors. Whenever the word entity is used, it is to be assumed, unless otherwise stated, that it refers to an entity of one of the six kinds, not to a multiplicity. There is no emergent evolution concerned with a multiplicity, so that every statement about a multiplicity is a disjunctive statement about its individual members. Entities of any of the first six kinds and generic contrasts will be called proper entities. In its development the subsequent discussion of the philosophy of organism is governed by the belief that the subject predicate form of proposition is concerned with high abstractions except in its application to subjective forms this sort of abstraction apart from this exception is rarely relevant to metaphysical description the dominance of aristotelian logic from the late classical period onwards has imposed on metaphysical thought the categories naturally derivative from its phraseology. This dominance of his logic does not seem to have been characteristic of Aristotle's own metaphysical speculations. The divergencies such as they are in these lectures from other philosophical doctrines mostly depend upon the fact that many philosophers who in their explicit statements characterize the Aristotelian notion of substance, yet implicitly Throughout their discussions, presuppose that the subject-predicate form of proposition embodies the finally adequate mode of statement about the actual world. The evil produced by the Aristotelian primary substance is exactly this habit of metaphysical emphasis upon the subject-predicate form of proposition. Thank you for joining me in this part of zensylvania i hope you've enjoyed your time listening to the podcast as much as i did putting it together you can find text versions of zensylvania stories and essays at zensylvania.com if you've enjoyed the content you've heard so far please subscribe tell your friends and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts i'd also love to hear your thoughts my email address is zensylvania at gmail.com Or you may wish to use the link in the episode description box to leave a voice message for use in this or a future episode if you'd like to support the zensylvania podcast you can find us on patreon or buy me a coffee thank you again for joining me in zensylvania it's a state of mind